Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, everybody. For those of you that don't know, my name is Ryan, and I am the teaching pastor, and I head up the teaching team here at LBCF. And we have the beautiful kind of challenge, but opportunity and blessing to be a community that is led by uh, three pastors. And um, one of us is has not been in the room for the last two weeks because he is currently in Zimbabwe, but he sent an update video from some of his work, and I wanted to make sure that we could all watch it together. So here is Pastor Danny. Um, but right now, um, as you may know, I'm in Zimbabwe. I've been here now for about a week. And God has just been really doing amazing things. I'm here with my friend Ronnie, who is the founder and director of God Adores You Ministries. And we've been um, having a lot of meetings. I've been hearing a lot of stories, uh, talking to pastors, family members, LGBTQI people, and just getting a sense of what God is doing and just the important work that um, God Adores You Ministries is doing. And so I'm grateful that our church is um, praying about um, just this partnership, about how we can see the kingdom of God expand um, all over the world. And for some reason, God has brought us to Zimbabwe. And so I want to um, let Ronnie just share a little bit about what God Adores You Ministries is and, uh, and just kind of what we've been doing. Okay, good morning, Long Beach Christian Fellowship. My name is Ronald Madongwe. Um, the founder and the director of Bora Jones View. Um, I'm so excited and grateful to you all for releasing Pastor Danny to be with us here in Zimbabwe just to for impartation and learning from him and we are so grateful for that and we thank God for what he is doing and as God adores you we thank God for when Pastor Dan was here, we managed to have a storytelling whereby we should, LGBTI people share their stories. And we have Peace Leg, whereby we met friends and the parents of the LGBTI people. And we also had Pastor's Dialogue, whereby we have a topic of the LGBTI and faith, what was the take of their pastors. And there is still a lot of work to be done because um, the hardship in Zimbabwe of the LGBTI people, you know, there's a lot of loss of family, loss of friends, and to the worst, sometimes there's loss of life because of the marginalization and discrimination caused by the church. So as we learn from you and we believe that God will be helping us so that we can grow God adores you and we'll make sure that we'll reach out to many LGBTI people and pastors. To do to make sure that this work is possible we thank you yeah, thank you Ronnie. i know yeah just hearing from um our lgbtqi uh, siblings here in zimbabwe um there were no there were there was no one who said that there was a church that they felt like they could belong to and feel safe as, and who they are i know there's just been this exhaustion um and i know a lot of times they just feel unsafe in every way, not just like um, spiritually and mentally, but physically. Uh, there's been a lot of violence against LGBTQI people. 
and it's just honestly been um, really difficult for them. And so that's why I'm glad um, God, you know, just allowed us to partner up with God Adores You, and, and you know, He's allowing us to um, see just what is happening here. And I pray that as a church, we would continue to figure out what this partnership looks like, and, uh, because we know that Psalms 10 says that God hears the cries of the oppressed, um, that hear, God sees their afflictions, um, and he, he doesn't want anyone to terrify anymore. And so, yeah, that's why I've been here, and I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, coming home and just um, sharing even more in depth about what has happened. But thank you again for uh, just um, sending me here, and I look forward to seeing you all. God bless you. Bye-bye. Yeah, yeah, so it is so fantastic to watch Pastor Danny walk out what we said we wanted to in 2020 to do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly. And so what a great picture that is. Um, he has been participating as much as possible. They are nine hours ahead. And so sometimes he will be sending us texts at like four o'clock here. And I'm like, oh, it is late for you over there. So he is he is still um, trying to stay plugged into all of the things happening here. And so we are just so grateful for him. And he'll be traveling home soon. So you can keep him in your prayers. Also keep that ministry in your prayers that we could learn how our partnership will grow over time. And um, now we we have some really fun news. If, if you haven't been here the last couple weeks, you did not see the the month-long celebration of our dear Pastor Barb as she stepped into retirement. And so she is enjoying her chair that we got. It's, it's very... <laughs> so I want to bring um, Pastor Emerita Barb up here. And I also want to bring up um, one of our... Uh, the, the president of the elder board, Catherine Morrill, up um, because they have some really fun news that they just want to uh, share with everybody. So come on up and I'll hand over the mic once again. Oh, I don't think I should go first. I think I should go last. Um, you know, the only, the only way that I could leave our staff is knowing how amazing our staff and leadership was in this community. And with all my heart, I'm aware that that is true. From every pastor, from every ministry leader, from so many volunteers, from each of you in this room, actually, in so many ways, from our elders, and especially this year as we've added to the board um, such quality people. Not that they weren't quality people before that. So I, um, but I just had such a, I have such a confidence in this community and the way that we are all of us um, leaning after learning what it truly means to live and love like Jesus. And so I felt free at the tender age of 74 to step away <laughs> from those staff meetings, you know, there, um, and uh, become a community member who gets to be a part of this community, to volunteer, to do all the things that my heart says are right. And um, yeah, I've, I've, I've been really excited and thrilled about it. And one of the reasons is because I knew that um, they weren't just going to leave those two guys on their own. I knew that the elders would, um, would understand that we are, that the lead team at Long Beach Christian Fellowship is a team of three. And so I get to announce um, 
a woman of such integrity, of such depth of compassion, of such an ability to give pastoral care from the smallest to the oldest and the biggest in this community. So uh, we have a new lead pastor, and her name is Mary Dorsett. So, so Mary, Mary is going to be joining the team of three pastors. It's a lead team, and uh, that's such a beautiful and exciting thing. And the elders want to bless you and say some things too. Um, and I'm just going to hand the mic off and go sit in my chair with arms. Oh, Mary, we are so thrilled to have you join. And you know, you already are a pastor, not because you've been the children's pastor, but because that is who you are. And really, pastoring is about an inner quality. And it isn't really about the title, but it's a right that you have that title and that we honor you as what you've already been doing and just elevate you into our um, leadership in a way that I think thrills all of our hearts. So welcome. Thank you, Mike. And just, I would echo that and just say thank you so much for the way you've served the kids here at our church for so, so many years and just your, your giving heart to the community here at, a, at our church. And we look forward to stepping into this new and glorious, wonderful season with you and your family. And uh, blessings, blessings, blessings. And her title will be the Pastor of Children and Family. So she's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like our kids will still have Pastor Mary. That's very important. Yes, yes. So um, let's get, so Danny also knew this was coming and wanted to make sure he got his two cents in as well. So let's watch him. Hey, LBCF family, I'm recording this from Zimbabwe. I know I've been here uh, for over a week now and looking forward to seeing you all. But I just wanted to uh, jump in on the Sunday morning and say thank you, Mary Dorsett, for accepting the position as uh, the lead team pastor. And I am just so grateful. And I know that uh, every time I think about you, and I know everyone else does, and I'm sure that that's what happened this morning, that when you were announced as pastor, um, it just makes sense. Um, you have just always uh, been pastor to the community, and now we get to call you a part of the lead team pastorate. And so I'm just so grateful. I know that you exude so much of what it means to be a pastor. You love people so well. You have the presence of Christ in you. Um, you make people feel so welcome. And I know, um, yeah, the church is going to be so blessed because you have accepted this um, role. And I know Ryan and I are just going to enjoy uh, just being a part of um, the lead team together. And so thank you. Um, I'm grateful for you. And I know that I, along with the rest of the church, uh, celebrate this wonderful announcement. And so thank you from, um, yeah, just the bo bottom of our hearts. Blessings. All right. So we are clearly all very excited. Just in case you didn't hear that, 
She is still going to be Miss Mary with the children. So all of the anxiety that might be rising up in you, you can settle that because I made sure that we were not going to lose Miss Mary in that hallway as well. Um, that was an, a very important thing. And what a beautiful picture it is for our community to, to fully embody that the leadership and the participation of our children is not a thing that just happens over there, but that is a discipling people of a part of our church. So that is a value that we have a pastoral, a pastoral presence leadership that says the children are us. They're not just being watched while we handle church in here, that church is happening there, that the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully, that we, that it seems so interesting that anytime youth spoke up in the Bible, Jesus said, pay attention, pay attention to what is happening here. And that's beautiful. And so we are excited clearly. And today we have the opportunity also to hear Miss Mary lead us in the word and in teaching. So I'm going to hand the mic over to Pastor Mary Dorsett. Thank you, my friend. I love you. I love you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. So, uh, yeah, I'm Mary, and if we haven't met, I want to meet you. So come see me later, and let's talk. Uh, just a little bit about me. Um, I am married to the love of my life, uh, 19 years on Tuesday, and we have three kids, a uh, 20-year-old. So if you do the math, you might see that she was there at our wedding, and uh, almost 18-year-old and an 11-year-old, and um, they teach me so much about the goodness and the grace and the love of God, and I'm so grateful. And um, yeah, most Sundays I'm in the hallway, and I get to remind children that they're loved and chosen by God, and it is the most beautiful and profound honor, and I'm so grateful. And then every once in a while I get to come in here I get to nerd out with you guys about the Bible, and that also is profoundly humbling and so beautiful. But there is something about being with the kids that is so healing for me. They, they grow me and they ground me in my faith by seeing the way that they engage in their faith. And so I was scrolling on Facebook, and I saw this thing. Can I get that first slide? And it caught my eye. It says, God, give me the faith of a little child who trusts without questioning, who simply and gladly believes your word without doubt. And it sounds so good, but I actually think whoever wrote this has never spent any time with a child and doesn't remember being a child themselves. Because I would never say that a child's trust is without questioning and their belief is without doubt. Like, they are characterized by their curiosity. I need water. Thanks. I think that if I was to, um, to write a prayer asking for the faith of a child, it would look something more like this one. God, give me the faith of a child who trusts you with all the questions and who explores your world with tenacity and wonder. There was um, this one time many years ago that I was in, I was working in the toddler room and there was this little girl who came in and she had just discovered her belly button and she was 
fascinated. She was like running her finger around it and sticking her finger into it and lifting her shirt to look at it. And I said to her, oh, look, you found your belly button. Did you know that everybody in the whole wide world has a belly button? It's one of the few things that connects us all to each other. And a little boy heard that and he walked up to me and he said, you have belly button? And I said, yes, I have a belly button. Everybody in this room has a belly button. Even the grown-ups in the big part of church have a belly button. We all have a belly button. And he was fascinated. And he walked away. And then he came back like minutes later. And he said, Jesus have belly button? I said, yes, everybody has a belly button. Everybody throughout history has had a belly button. Isn't that the most amazing thing in the world? And this kid thought for another minute, and then he said, Adam and Eve have belly button? And I was stumped. Like, I don't have an answer for him. I didn't have an answer for him then. I don't have an answer for him now. And I love that so much. Like, this is where we're at in the world, that toddlers can come up with questions that are so theologically difficult that I cannot answer them. I like to think, though, that when God crafted Adam, he thought he was just the sweetest, most beautiful thing. And after he was all done, he went, boop, right in the belly button. And so he had one too, but, you know, who knows. But I want that kind of faith, that curious faith that that little boy had, that he is looking for God in all the conversations, even about belly buttons. So when Ryan suggested that we all have this chance for the teaching team to share something that grounds them or compels them or excites them, I knew exactly what I wanted to talk about because it has been my life journey. I wanted to talk about my journey to let God be God, to let him be big and mysterious and full of glory. Theology comes from autobiography, and it comes from telling our stories and holding the stories of others. And for me, this is my never-ending practice of taking God out of the box. And we're going to go all over the place in this message. Old Testament, New Testament, my testament. If you uh, have a Bible and you try to follow along, God bless you. I will like give you a gold star after church. But most of the verses will be up on the slide, so like... Just follow along if you like. That's totally fine. We're going to start, though, at the very beginning in Genesis. In Genesis, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God looked at that creation. And he said, as Pastor Danny reminded us so beautifully a couple weeks ago, that it's tov, or beautiful. God looked at us and he said, we are beautiful. And in the beginning, God was not in any sort of a box. Eden is such a beautiful picture of God dwelling with his people. There's such close proximity to God that in Genesis 3.8, it said that they could hear his footsteps. And then there was this fateful encounter with a serpent. And Eve decided that mystery was not good enough for her anymore, that she wanted to know things. So she ate the fruit that she was told she should not eat. And then Adam ate it. In their attempt to know the things that God knows, they, um, they and the generations after them lost that direct access to God's presence. 
but, and there's always a but, God is always looking for ways to be with and to care for his people. So God kept revealing himself to people in these really creative ways. In Exodus, he shows up as a bush that's on fire, but is never consumed by that fire. He is a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire during the night that leads the Israelites through the wilderness. But clouds and fire are big and elusive and untouchable, and they're really hard to hold tight to. And humanity has this propensity to really want to hold tight to things. And God knows that about us. So what does God do? In the second part of Exodus, he gives us directions on how to build the Ark of the Covenant. Essentially, God put himself in the box for his people. And God got really detailed about his plans for the the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant in which his glory would dwell. There are these long chapters in Exodus that are dedicated to the specifications and the dimensions and the type of wood and all the symbolism. Oh, can I have that slide? Um, There it is. It's like Ikea directions on steroids. There were so many things that he wanted in there. But the purpose of all that imagery and symbolism was to conjure up these similarities with the garden that would allow people to come and experience intimacy with God once more. The tabernacle or the tent was more or less this portable Eden that held the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark were the, the tablets that had the Ten Commandments that were written on them. And this space was separated from the rest of the tabernacle with this curtain, that, that pink line right there. And only the high priest on the holiest days could go into that holy of holy space and have that encounter with God. And the Israelites agreed ahead of time to this covenant with God. And they promised that they would have no other gods before him and that there would be no carved images that they would would worship. The idea being that the only image of God that they would ever see is the living, breathing image of God that they would see before them in each moment. But building the Ark of the Covenant did not go off without a hitch. While Moses was up on the mountain getting filled in on the commandments and the covenants, the people below got antsy. And they broke the covenant with God that they had just agreed to. This is such a picture. While Moses is up on the mountain and the presence of God is full in its glory, the people below are getting so antsy that they ask Aaron to build them a golden calf, an idol, for them to worship. The mystery of God is so hard to grapple with. And the people of Israel wanted something concrete, something measurable and containable, and I get that. There's something about trying to keep God small and contained that feels safe and controllable. And I like safe. Safe is good. And I love control. Control is my favorite. But I think of this quote from the, the, oh, it's not up there. That's right. From the uh, Chronicle of Narnia when the Pevensey children learn that they are going to meet the king of Narnia, and they find out that the king of Narnia is a lion. And Susan asks, with I think very understandable concern, a lion? Is he safe? And the beavers say, safe? 
No, of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But he's good. God has never promised us safety or control. But he is good. And truthfully, I have found that when I look into the deep recesses of my soul, I do kind of want that safe God, a, a graspable God, somebody, a God I can put in my pocket or clasp around my neck like a little charm. And part of my own journey to let God be God and take him out of the box has been learning to let go of the idols of certainty and control and learn to rest out in the wild unknown. When you think about all that the Ark of the Covenant symbolized, it's such a testament to the tender love of God. He so desired relationship and proximity to us that he allowed his glory to come and to dwell in the midst of his people in a little itty-bitty box. And I believe that this is still true of God today in our own relationships. He's willing to fit into small little contained spaces for our small little brains to hold onto as we continue to learn and to grow and to grapple with his utter vastness. And as the Israelites grew in relationship with God, I think they needed the Ark of the Covenant less and less. They had so much history at that point. There were so many times when they called upon the Lord and he answered them. There are so many parts in the Old Testament where God is reminding them, think of all the times that I have shown up. Think of all the ways that I have answered you. The Old Testament is filled with God nudging his people to be a people who remember. But even good things can distract us from God. I think the Holy Bible can sometimes distract us from God. We want to keep him all contained in those pages. But he's bigger than that. He was bigger than the Ark of the Covenant, too. And at some point in 1 Samuel, the Israelites actually tried to make that Ark of the Covenant kind of like this lucky charm that they could carry with them into battle, and it did not go well for them. Um, at some point, the Ark of the Covenant went missing, and to this day, we don't know where it is. And I like to think that that was part of God's plan all along, because it was never his plan to stay contained in that little space. He's too big for that. So God sent Jesus into the world. And so in John 1.14, can I get that slide up? It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word dwelling there, John is written in Greek. And the word dwell was skenu. It means to dwell. It means to tabernacle or to pitch a tent. And John knew what he was doing in this moment. Using the dwell and glory, he was bringing these parallels of the Ark of the Covenant that was coming to be with their people to the reader and the listener who would be learning from John. God became flesh. He pitched a tent among his people, and people could once again hear the footsteps of the Lord. But then, even then, God was not done showing just how utterly uncontainable he was, because then 
all three of the synoptic gospels talk about that after Jesus died, that curtain that separated the holy from holy of holies from the rest of the tabernacle split in two. God was moving into the neighborhood in new ways. He was not limited to a select few on special dates. He was making himself available to everyone. As it says in Colossians 1.27, I think I have that one. I do. To them, God has chosen to make them make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what we get, y'all. Jesus dwells in us. We have the hope of glory housed inside of us. He's pitched a tent in our lives, and that glory gets to show up. I became a Christian when I was three years old, and it had really humble beginnings. My, my brother, who had just turned seven, very nobly wanted to cement my eternity in heaven by uh, bribing me with a candy bar if I became a Christian. And I have never been one to turn down a candy bar, so I very enthusiastically accepted. Uh, I never did get that candy bar, which I think is actually probably a good thing. But something happened in that moment. Something happened when I prayed. I cannot explain it. It felt like a holy mystery then. It feels like a holy mystery now. God met me in that moment. And I fell into deep, deep love with him. But I was three, y'all. And as the apostle says in 1 Corinthians, can I get that slide? See what I mean? We're going everywhere in the Bible today. Mm, the child. There it is. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I had a really small little version of God when I was three years old. But that's not where God wanted me to stay. He desires the heart and the curiosity of a three-year-old, but he wants our questions to develop and become more complex and nuanced in time. Because Paul says, when I became a man, I put those ways of childhood behind me. And then if we see the next slide, I love this. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We're never going to have all the answers in this lifetime. we got to just sit in the mystery. What a beautiful invitation. And yet, we still get to lean in with those questions and the understanding and the growing we got to keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. In child development, infants, newborns, they see, um, they see things best when it's about 8 to 11 inches away from their face, which is the perfect distance for a baby to see the face of the person who's loving them and feeding them and cooing at them. And they also see... Um, bold, basic images best. The, those black and white images, they stimulate a newborn's optic nerve without overstimulating them. And in the same way, 
when we first come to Christ, it is very natural that we would see black and white and bold and basic. But we're not supposed to stay there. We're supposed to move into the nuance. It is only when children develop with time that they start being able to see some of those more nuanced, blended pastel colors. They get to see the full spectrum of the colors. And in the same way, as we move deeper and deeper into our faith with Christ, we get to see the kaleidoscope of colors that he is. We get to see him in all the spaces. So God was in a little small box when I first met him. And it was, it was a list of do's and don'ts that lived inside the tabernacle. I was a child who said hurtful things to people who believed or behaved differently than I did. And I still look for people from my childhood to apologize to them for the way that I represented Jesus. But through exploring the Bible, from hearing other stories, from telling mine, I found that he was big enough to hold my questions and my wonder. God no longer stayed contained in those little boxes that I put him in. And if I held on to that certainty of youth, I would have missed so much of the mystery and the fullness and the goodness of God. I still find that I tend to keep God in small little boxes. I, I find that I, um, I like to give him very easy, answerable prayers or give him outs. So if he does not answer my prayer the way I want him to, my wobbly faith isn't shaken. It's something I still tend to do. There is this one time when um, we had these bees that set up a hive in our backyard. And um, I love bees. And I usually let them do their thing. But these bees happen to be right by our kids' swing set. And so we were left having this really hard conversation about whether we were going to have the bees removed or just tell the kids, you can no longer play near your playset. And my mom, who is this woman of very deep faith, said to me, well, why don't you just ask God to move the bees? And I said, and this is a direct quote because I remember it very clearly, Mom, God raised Lazarus from the dead. He parted the Red Seas. But he's not going to be concerned about my bee problem. Like, He's got bigger fish to fry. A moment later, there was this deafening buzzing sound, and the bees up and left, and I was having to eat my words. <sighs> it's like God was straight up defying to stay put in the lane that I had put him in, and he's constantly challenging me to move into the mystery with him to be comfortable at being uncomfortable, to have the ease of not, the unease of not having the answers with the ease of somebody who is practiced in that. And when I look at what, who God says he is in the Bible, it's always immeasurable. His, his faithfulness is never ending. His compassion is never failing. His love is never ending. His glory is so all-consuming that when Moses asked to see his face, he's told Moses he would die if he looked upon it. This is our God. As we grow, we find that God gets bigger and bigger and more outside the lines than we thought he was confined to. And I think, I hope, 
that that never ends. I believe it's our life's work to take his word and to bind it tight and then to loosen it again so we can explore it and consider it and then reconsider it again and again. When Jesus says that the kingdom is made up of little children, I believe that it will be our tenacious trust that brings all of our questions and ponderings and hopes and hearts to him that keeps us childlike. Here's the thing about doubt. It's gotten a bad rap for a long time. The uh, disciple Thomas has been given the moniker Doubting Thomas. Um, he's not even so much a person anymore as he is a noun to just to criticize somebody else for their lack of faith. But I think we've given Thomas a really bad rap. Thomas was not in the room with Jesus when he revealed himself to the other disciples. And so it is then that Thomas says, uh, I will not believe in the resurrected body of Christ unless I can see the holes in his hand and put my hand through the hole in his, his side. And we have the benefit of being able to read the Bible line by line and see what's coming next. But he was living it minute to minute. And as we look at that text, it was actually a full week after that that Jesus came back and Thomas saw him at last. It was a full week and Thomas was still there in that room waiting for Jesus, looking to see his face. That's not doubt. That's hope. And when I don't get the answers I want, when God doesn't show up the way I want him to, I can only pray that I would have the courage and the tenacity that Thomas had, that I would stay looking and waiting and hoping for Jesus. And here's the thing about trust. There is no trust without questioning. That's exactly how trust is formed. From the day children are born, there are these little scientists who are learning cause and effect and finding out how the world will respond to them and how people will respond to them. And that's why children who are severely neglected will stop crying because they find that their voice does not help get their needs met. There was this one time when my oldest was in school and I told her that it was free dress day and we got to school only to find out that um, I got my dates mixed and everybody else was in their uniform. And I kid you not, for years, Rory could not trust the authority of my words. Like it shook her that much to find out that moms sometimes get it wrong. Trust is built on knowing that what the person says they're going to follow through on, that they are right on things. It's built on record keeping. And I had to work so hard to build that trust with her again. And just as is, there is no trust without questioning, there is no belief without doubt. That's the paradox of faith, that it cannot exist without doubt. And if we teach our children or ourselves that that kind of belief without doubt is the ideal, I think we're doing a huge disservice. We're missing the point. I believe that those questions 
are held with reverence and delight by God. That is the very picture of trust and intimacy, that he's big enough to hold it all, that he has all the answers, even if we won't get them in this lifetime. We're called to an untamed, wild kind of trust. And we trust in God not because of our good and trusting hearts. We trust because he's shown that he is worthy to be trusted. And I want to close from a verse. It's uh, from the message, so it's a paraphrase. But I love it so much because it just, when I find that what I am, my soul is truly longing for is this kind of really big God. Can we get that verse up from, there it is. I love this. We throw our, open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. I think part of our journey of taking God outside the box is to bless and to hold those boxes that we've carried in the past as sacred, as a sacred and essential part of our journey until at last we find that there are no more boxes and we find ourselves where we always hoped we might be, out in the wide, open, uncontainable, unboxable spaces of God's grace and glory. Standing tall, shouting praise. Um, I'd like to call communion, or the, not communion, words. I have them. Uh, the worship band up, and we are going to have communion. Um, just as the Israelites were called a people to remember, we are also a people who are called to remember. That's what we do with our stories, and that's what we do when we gather around the communion table. We remember and partake of the mystery of Jesus' body broken for us, his blood shed for us. We taste it, we chew it up, and we swallow it. It sits in our bellies. Our bodies that are made up of star stuff hold inside it this mystery of his body and his blood, the bread and the wine. But first, we remember that we're human. And we taste the bitterness of sin and death with the bitter herbs. And then we come to the table. And that taste is overpowered by the offering of his love. And because the Lord's table is welcome to everybody, we have both bread and wine and gluten-free crackers and grape juice so that all can partake. So let us keep this feast together.